There is nothing quite like watching the guy that you like fall for someone else. Hello, it's voiceover Emily. I felt the need to provide a quick disclaimer before this episode starts because I was, as I was editing through this episode, I realized I had left out some key points that I'd wanted to address and I just forgot about, as well as I'm trying to cover my ass because I know negative reviews are going to come in. Some people aren't going to relate to my content. Some people are going to feel it's lacking in certain areas. And I do give myself grace because we're brand new to this. We're still figuring it out. I'm still dealing with issues with my camera as I'm trying to film the video portion for the podcast, but it's coming together and we're doing it. And I'd, I would rather put the content out there if it meets a certain level of good enough for me rather than try to be a perfectionist and re-record until it's absolutely perfect. I think this entire process so far has been really cathartic as it is forcing me out of my shell and forcing me to put out content that maybe isn't 100% where I want it to be, but maybe it's at least 80 or 90%. And I feel like that's what this episode is. I realized I don't go into depth in regards to like friendships, jobs, and family rejection as I would have liked. And the fix to that is just, we'll get to chat about that more in the future. And I'm really excited about that. But I'm talking about self-care and how that that has helped me work through rejection, how picking myself has helped build up confidence in handling rejection a little bit more gracefully. I'm aware that that is not the end all. I'm aware that therapy and medicine and working alongside trusted individuals, working through your trauma, all of these things factor into working through rejection, like a self-care day, cleaning your bedroom, going out to eat by yourself isn't going to fix those things overnight. This entire episode is just me sharing my experiences with rejection in regards to relationships and how over the last few years... I've just started cultivating a more personal relationship with myself. And maybe in the end, I don't even need to include this disclaimer. You're going to get to the end of the episode and be like, Emily, I totally picked that up. But I think right now I just felt really insecure in putting this out and realizing, oh shit, it's kind of missing some stuff. And that's okay. We'll be cool with that. But let me add this just in case. So without further ado, thanks for listening. Here's episode two. Well, this is new. Hello. It is 8.09 p.m. on a Thursday night, and I just kind of got this weird energy in me, and I thought, you know, what the hell? Why not try to record the next episode? I'd scripted most of this out today, so we're going to see how far we get. If you are new here, welcome to the Can't Relate podcast. I'm your host, Emily Dukes. This is episode two of the show called Pick Me, Pick Me Not. Today's episode is going to primarily focus on what it feels like to be someone's second choice, to not be picked first. I'm mostly going to talk about that in a relational sense, but this also applies to friendships, jobs, parents, you name it. I'm in my PJs, I'm freshly showered. It just feels like it's going to be one of those nights. So cozy up, get yourself a cup of tea, get yourself a snack, because I've got some fucking tea for you. There's nothing quite like watching the guy that you like fall for someone else. I know I'm not alone in this. Whether it was a guy or a girl, I'm sure at some point in your life you have had a massive crush on someone or maybe you had this really great connection with them and 
they were just not into you and maybe you move on or maybe they string you along and you get to be in the back seat or in my case, the front seat watching them fall for the girl in the back seat. And all the while, you're just the bystander and you're just the one left with the broken heart. What sucks the most is this didn't just happen to me one time because, of course, that wouldn't be my luck. It happened to me three different times. And all three times, I called it and said that they were going to get married. Everyone thought I was joking. The first time was in middle school. So it's like, of course, like, what the fuck? They're 14. You know, you don't know if they're going to get married or not. I went to their wedding. The second couple, I watched the guy fall in love with her instantly. I was like really vibing with this guy. He and I had the same sense of humor. We were in the same classes at school and college. I had really great chemistry with him. And up until that point, my experience with guys had been either non-existent or quite toxic. And so he was one of the first healthy friendships I had with a guy. We were both photographers. We went to the same church. It was like, this is a perfect match. I remember having people ask me if we were interested in each other or what was going to happen between me and this guy. And so because we were photographers and because I loved having my photo taken of me, one day we decided to drive somewhere like an hour and a half away from the college. And I invited one of my friends to come with me. She and I had the same curly hair, So we looked really similar and we were going to do this whole lion shoot. He had never met her. And God, I will never forget her getting in the back seat. I'm sitting in his front seat. He's going to be driving us. And he could not stop staring at her through his rear view mirror. Meanwhile, I'm trying to pretend like I don't see any of this happening. Trying to pretend like everything's okay. That I'm having a great time. All the while, I feel like I'm being crushed on the inside. Do you know those videos on YouTube or TikTok of like those massive machines that can smash essentially anything and it's like really wild looking? That is how my internal world felt in that moment. And I just watched this unfold in front of me and I was like, they're going to get married. Five years later, who did I see on my Instagram feed getting engaged? I hate that I have this radar that continuously proves to be accurate. It bothers me. Like, I should not be able to call this this well, especially with guys that I like. Do you know what sucks the most, though? Is when you go out on a limb and tell them that you like them, because this is your first time being direct with anyone. You see what you want, you're going to go for it. Good for you, baby. Oh, but wait. He says he's not really looking for anyone. Or it's just not his time. Or in my case, you get the fucking Christian version of it of, I'm just dating Jesus right now. And you're like, okay, you know, you can continue to string me along because I'm just going to be a fucking doormat at the moment because that's where my self-esteem is at. And you just stand there on the sidelines trying to act like everything's okay when it's not. In case you haven't picked up on it, this episode is about rejection and what it feels like when you are not someone's first pick. Whether that's in a friendship, a job, a relationship, your parents even, you just feel like you are second choice. And that pain of rejection is difficult to carry, especially the older you get. And the more often you have these experiences happen where it's like, oh, this here's just one more notch on the belt to prove that I'm somehow not worthy of being chosen. Or in my case, you know, if we take like a job example, I'm not worthy of having a good, healthy well-paying job that also provides the benefits that I need 
to offer me an acceptance letter. No, I'm going to get the one that is toxic or the one that forces you to work 50 hours a week. Do you know what I mean? And it makes you feel like something is wrong with you. So we're going to talk about why being rejected hurts so damn much and if there's anything that we can do about it. It all started for me in middle school. Throughout this first season of the podcast, you were going to hear snippets of my story and upbringing, especially on the church playing field. The first guy that I liked was when I was in sixth grade. He was a year older than me. We didn't date. We didn't kiss. We hated labels. We were the kids who read the I Kiss Dating Goodbye book, which I mentioned that before. And if you still haven't heard that, please go look that up and you'll see the entire framework of what my adolescence was built around. I liked him so much and I loved his family. And at 13, 14 years old, I could see myself marrying this guy, which is just wild to think about. And I feel like that was especially prevalent in Christian culture. It was always this emphasis on getting married very young and hopefully finding your sweetheart in middle school or high school, because that's what you saw your youth pastor do. We never wanted to be labeled. We were above the labels, which is so stupid to think about now. It's just like, just call yourself boyfriend and girlfriend. And I guess part of it was just we didn't want to deal with the backlash of a breakup. We didn't want to have to explain ourselves to people. We wanted to be above everyone else. So we didn't want to just be like the secular world who dated. No, we were going to court each other. In fundamentalist Christianity, there's this concept called courting. And it's essentially this ritualistic way of doing things. Like, here's a map. Go door the explorer this shit. And so you run off at 14 being like, okay, here's how I court someone. I'm not going to kiss them. I'm not going to give them a frontal hug. they only going to get a side hug. Can't be alone in the same room together. Better yet, can't even be in the same elevator together because that's going to be tempting. And then there's the other side of modesty and purity culture movement in general. And so all of this just sort of blurs together after a while for me. But I think what made this heartbreak painful was not only because of my age and it being my first one, but because I thought I was following the rules correctly. I was following the map. Map, 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 map. (laughs) And it was like, this bitch diverted from the map after a while. And he found a different girl. I don't even know how they met or when they became friends, but because he was a year older than me, He started going to what would become my private school, and he would have met her at some point through there. All I can remember is that he just kind of stopped talking to me over time. I didn't have a cell phone in middle school, and neither did he. We just kind of emailed each other, and I remember the vibes just started feeling weird when we were in person, or he invited her to a couple of things, and then eventually I started going to the school And I was in seventh grade and I still remember taking photos with them and realizing that he felt something for her. And I don't, I'm realizing, I don't know if he and I ever came to this conclusion of like, oh, whatever we have is over. Because again, we didn't have a label for this. And now I'm like so confused. Now I'm very confused how this would have gone. And I wish I could remember. There was never a moment of saying this is over between us. It just kind of fizzled out. And at one point, I told my mom, they're going to get married. 14-year-old me telling my mom that the 15-year-old boy that I like is going to marry this 15-year-old girl. And my mom is like, you don't know that. How would you know that? Anything could happen. And wouldn't you fucking know it, a decade later, I go to their stupid wedding. And it wasn't stupid. It was quite fun. He and I wound up reconnecting in college by happenstance because I was at that time commuting to the school that he was going to. God, it's a long story and I'm realizing none of this makes sense and none of this is important. 
What matters the most is we reconnected. I got to take his engagement photos. It was so much fun. Went to the wedding. I looked like a fucking baller. After that, I think that was the last time that I saw him because I started dating my now partner. And this was around the time I started, you know, kind of slowly quiet quitting Christianity. And he found out I had had sex and was just like, you know, you're just falling below the law of the Lord. And I was like, all right, peace the fuck out. I'm gonna just unfollow you. Thank you. So you already know about my photographer friend. And I'd say out of all three of these examples, he was the least serious, but his bothered me for longer than I would like to admit, because at that time in my life, as a sophomore, junior-ish in college, so we're talking like 2021, and I think honestly it was because it was once again this reinforcement that I wasn't worthy of being chosen by the person that I liked, by someone I thought who was healthy and positive and good, a good influence in my life, and that I was somehow only deserving of the bad boy negative attention. I think it also bothered me so much because he was one of the first guys I felt emotionally safe with. Up until that point, I'd only had experience with guys who were not emotionally available, who were only in it for anything physical. And in a different episode, we're going to be uncovering all that juicy shit. I'm so excited. And then we have the third one which becomes dicier because there's more details to it than I am willing to let on. But your long story short is the first guy that I ever fell in love with led me on for a year after that only to fly out of state and ask a different girl to be his girlfriend. And that shit wrecked me for a long time. I drove him to the airport and I fucking sobbed on the way home and I went out on a limb and told him I liked him. We went hiking and we wound up getting caught in the rain because we made it up to the top of the mountain and that's when it started getting really cloudy and we were like, fuck, we've got to get off this mountain. It essentially just started monsooning after that and it's all muddy and slippery and he winds up putting me on his back, charging down the paths. And there were so many moments that he could have kissed me when I think about it because the vibes were there. Like, you, you know you know when there's a vibe there. And if someone tries to gaslight you and tell you otherwise, man, you just need to move on. Let me give you permission to move on right now if they try to make you feel like that that's not there because you know when it is. And so we made it down to the bottom of the mountain. We're soaking wet and we're trying to dry off in the bathrooms that are just outside the base of the mountain. And we're walking back to his car and I, I took a breath and I reached for his hand Because at some point as we were running down the hill, we'd like grabbed hands so like we would stay together. And I remember that charge shooting through my arm. And so I reached for his hand again and we held it all the way back. And God, I remember even the fucking sidewalk that we were on when I looked at him and said, I've been really enjoying talking to you and I really like you. I had never told a guy that. Never in that capacity, never in the way that I felt. And it's probably a good thing I've blacked out everything that he said because there, it was essentially a wishy-washy, you know, this just isn't for me right now. I'm not looking for anyone. I don't even know. And it was probably just his way of saying he just didn't see me that way. What pissed me off the most, though, was fucking leading me on for an entire year later after that, treating me like I was girlfriend material and just being completely oblivious to how his actions were making me feel. It's like, you can't do this thing and not have me think that something is going on between us. Either you're naive or you're fucking manipulative. 
and I don't think it's the latter. And it eventually got to a point that I called him out on it and we were able to settle things, but he was the hardest person for me to get over. It was like, I want you to want to take me home to your family. I want you to want to kiss me. I want you to want to do all of these things with me. And instead, I'm the friend driving you to the airport at 1 a.m. to go see this girl so that you can ask her to be your girlfriend. So when you have something like that happen, I feel like the natural question is, what do you do after that? First of all, how the fuck do you get over that? How do you process that? And second, how do you move on and how do you hopefully avoid that happening again? I think it's important to note that I'm not a genius on this and that I'm obviously going to be sharing my advice and my takeaways and I will certainly share some other resources that I found most helpful during this time. But please don't take everything that I say as the Bible, all right? So I would say the first thing, if and when this happens, to take the space to work really hard on separating your identity and self-worth from him. There's a part of me that feels like that was just his way of saying he wasn't interested in me and didn't see me that way. Which, in the end, that is everyone's prerogative. Everyone has the capability of selecting what is good for them and not. And I clearly wasn't what he was looking for. He's one of those relationships that you lay awake at night for like a couple of years after the fact, wondering where you went wrong, wondering why it didn't work out, wondering why he didn't want you, wondering if you could have been any different. Because I always thought I always thought it was me. I always thought my personality and the fact that I was putting myself out there with guys for the first time in my life. I was kind of going into my host stage, even though it was just a very vanilla host stage. And it was like, oh, he doesn't want me because of that. And now on this side of it, I'm just like, no, baby, he just wasn't right for you. And like, thank fucking God, you're where you're at now. And you're with who you're with now. It's that age old adage, it's not you, it's them. And I feel like that's especially applicable in situations like this. Is there any fix to that is the question. Is there any remedy to this is the question. I think yes and no. I think there will always be an element of staying connected to yourself as much as you can. Obviously, there are going to be circumstances outside of your control, whether that's finances or problems with family and school, health issues, fill in the blank, where maybe you can't provide the space that you need to self-actualize as much as you would like. I leaned so hard into self-care routines and it's so much more than just, you know, the typical skincare and, you know, doing your face masks at night. It's, it's the skincare, but it's also drinking enough water and becoming more comfortable with food and fueling myself when I need to and getting enough sleep and journaling and reading and taking time off social media and slowly 1% by 1% building up evidence that you deserve to be treated well and you will not accept anything less. These routines were honestly built up because of depression. And in a couple of episodes in the future, we're going to dive into those, which makes me really excited because I love talking about them. But I've but I've gotten it to a point where those routines stay intact even through depressive spells. In fact, I just went through a depressive spell for like two weeks and even though I wasn't performing at my highest, I was certainly more high functioning than I normally am. I still made my bed, still did my skincare, still went on my daily walk, still did some of those like non-negotiables, even though the laundry sat piled up and 
dishes piled up. I would like to emphasize that it is okay if you don't have the energy or stamina to fully take care of yourself the way that you would like. I love going back to this book every single year. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. It's a wonderfully written book about building up habits that last, and he emphasizes the importance of being 1% better every day. To not worry so much about being 100% better or even 50% better, just 1% better. What can you do today that would make you feel like you're 1% better? And I've been challenging myself with that. And I honestly think that's why this podcast has come about in the first place. Because I'm like, if I'm going to be 1% better, I guess I'm going to sit down and take care of these graphics for social media. Is that all I do? Yep. And I'll go play Animal Crossing after that. But I did it. And like, hello, I'm recording the second episode less than a week before this podcast launches. Who am I? First of all, (laughs) But I I think it's because of working on my relationship with habits. I'm going to keep saying this, but how this continues to build up evidence that I'm worthy of being treated properly. I'm training myself to expect a certain level of love and care based on the love and care I give to myself. Now, that's obviously a very different conversation if you're dealing with extreme mental health struggles. And not only is that going to be an episode dedicated solely to all of that, that is also something that sometimes all you can do is the bare minimum, and that's still good enough. That's still your best. Focus on being 1% better. And as you slowly build up that evidence, 1% by 1%, you're going to start seeing yourself differently. And perhaps, hopefully, you're going to start taking rejection differently. That maybe it will still get taken very personally. But maybe feeling rejected by that online friend that you just started talking to who just ghosted you all of a sudden and you don't know why, maybe that won't bother you as much as it would have. Maybe it only takes you a week to bounce back rather than five months. I also recognize I'm in a place where mental health is not as debilitating as it once was for me. I say that as I am exiting a depressive spell, one that I haven't experienced in a while I told my therapist I felt like I was right at 40%. And even she was like, you seem really flat today. I'm like, yeah, I feel like I'm way less saturated. I'm like 40% saturated right now. And I was like, anything below 40% is when I start turning it on myself. I start being mean to myself. And I thankfully didn't reach that point during this spell. As I say that though, I went through all three of these experiences at the at different heights of my mental health journey. I was depressed during all of them. So even as I say, I recognize I may be in a different place right now. I did go through those things and was in a really shitty headspace. I think something else that was missing, at least in the last guy in all three scenarios I gave you was boundaries. It's very evident to me now that I look back that he did not have great boundaries, that even though he said he wasn't interested in me, he clearly was either still feeling something for me, didn't know what to do, or he wanted to be really nice and so he didn't want to like hurt my feelings. Either way, that's on me to set boundaries that's like, hey, if you told me that you don't like me, and yet we're still hanging out, sitting really close to each other on the couch watching a movie and it's kind of late at night. Like, what the fuck are we doing, my guy? It's like, make up your fucking mind. Brene Brown wrote a book called Daring Greatly that I read, I think at some point during that time. And it walks you through being vulnerable while also setting healthy boundaries. And I want to read this quote and it's from Theodore Roosevelt and she uses it in the book as the baseline for how she came up with the book and 
what started her research into boundaries and vulnerability and is that, quote, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. So I would say with hindsight now, I'm so proud of myself for telling that guy that I liked him, that took guts. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have taken him to the airport, and maybe I shouldn't have kept inviting him over to my apartment even after that. I forgive myself for not knowing what to do in that moment or seemingly not knowing to do better. But I would rather look back on that moment and see that as a moment of strength for me, that I dared greatly, that I quote failed, even though it's definitely not a failure, and that maybe, just maybe, I can reframe that and make that a part of my superpower. That that doesn't have to be a part of my past that haunts me like this ghost in a closet that's all just all dusty and there's skeletons and cobwebs everywhere. Like he doesn't have to take up a whole room. He doesn't even have to take he doesn't even have to take up a fucking box. I can just let that shit go. I can open the window and it's like, bye-bye, ghost. The second resource I would give you is the Assertiveness Workbook by Randy J. Patterson. I started this during the pandemic when I didn't have any access to any therapists and I was just trying to get something going. And so I worked through this workbook and it would give you scenarios of ways to essentially practice and script out what you would say if something came up. I don't know about you, but I need to be able to practice something in order to feel comfortable in saying it. So if I need to go into this like really tense conversation with my boss, for instance, it's like, I need to write out the bullet points beforehand. I need to write out everything that I need to say in order to feel heard and validated. And maybe even go so far as writing out responses to assumed questions or things he could say after the fact. And that book was really wonderful for that. I'm a champion for any book that talks about healthy boundaries, because in the end, it comes down to choosing yourself and picking yourself. And it's this, he loves me, he loves me not, pick me, pick me not. It's like, bitch, I'm just going to pick myself. Where it gets murkier is friendships, because we're told these friendships are going to last, that you make an elementary school or you meet these people in college that you're really vulnerable with and you feel like you're the same person. And then something happens and someone changes and you walk away because it's no longer serving you. But feeling second best and feeling like someone's second choice with friendships can sometimes hurt more than not being chosen by the person that you like romantically. And I think it's because the friendships are the ones that last through that breakup or at least they're supposed to. It's like, if you break up with this guy or girl, that friend is going to still be there for you. They're supposed to be the tried and true forever friend. And instead, you're calling up this person and they're saying, I'm actually hanging out with fill in the blank, who technically happens to be their best friend. You're their second best friend, which I distinctly experienced this with a girl in high school. She and I met when we were juniors and then like by senior year, she and I became really close and she was just my ride or die bitch. I loved her. And while I knew she loved and appreciated me, I knew I wasn't her favorite, you know? It's like you've got your, you've got like an array of your favorite stuffed animals, but you have that one that's your favorite. It's like, I wasn't that one. And I kind of never felt like I was just that one for other people. Even like my fucking childhood best friend where we had known each other since we were babies had a different girl who was her best friend throughout that entirety of our childhood and friendship. 
And I was just like, God damn, when am I ever going to be someone's first pick? It's most painful, especially when you see those friends go to functions that you weren't invited to, or they don't invite you to the Christmas party. They don't invite you to the Halloween party. They don't invite you to go out with them on a Saturday night. Or you see a group of friends that you're all friends with, and they go and do something without you, and they didn't tell you. The last category, and it's certainly not the final, I'd say it's between feeling like you were not chosen by your parents and being chosen by a job. So when you have parents who aren't emotionally available or they favor your sibling over you because you're the problem child or or you're the middle child or the last kid to have been born or you were in accident, that shit sucks because you're told that your parents are supposed to love you unconditionally. And when you don't see that modeled for you and instead you see that given to your sibling, it kind of gets you wondering what's wrong with you. Why aren't they giving you the attention? Why aren't you good enough to be chosen? I've struggled the most where jobs are concerned with this, even more than parents, because I definitely was goody-goody. Trying to get a job, though, can feel really difficult, because if you've been going through the grind for months and you've been trying to apply and you just keep getting rejection letter after rejection letter, and then something comes around, it's not the pay that you wanted, it's not remote or hybrid the way that maybe you wanted, doesn't have a great work-life balance, has a toxic team mindset, terrible managers, but you feel like you have to accept it because you have nothing else on the table and you were desperate for something else. It's like, it's like, well, fuck, there's more evidence that I am somehow not worth receiving these good things. I'm being told it's like, yeah, you know, you're deserving of good things. You're deserving of a healthy work-life balance. And and instead I'm working these hours that I wasn't told I was going to work and I was told I was going to be able to do this and I can't actually do this. And like my employer lied to me about this. It's difficult to not go for the lower paying job because you're just like, I have to do what I have to do. I've got to make it work somehow. And it's hard to not take those personally rather than reframing them and seeing them as, well, this isn't where I want to be, but I'm not going to let this affect the view that I have on myself. Because it's one thing to be deserving of it and not receive it and then you're wondering why you're not receiving it. It's kind of like if you start posting on TikTok like I'm doing and you have like 250 followers and you're like, I know I have good content and I know I have something good to say. I'm just waiting for people to find it no matter how long it takes. Also, the algorithm is trash, but it takes six months or a year and you still don't see anything. You start to question, why is it not happening? What am I doing wrong? It always turns back on you. And there is also this recognition that you may not have the privilege to turn that job down. You may just have to take it because you got to get out or you got to take this other job or this job just fired you and you're unemployed. So it's like, the fuck, I have to do what I have to do. And when you got mental health shit on top of that, you'll get kind of a recipe for disaster the way that I experienced during the pandemic, where your best is showering and calling your mom. And that's it. That your surviving day to day is maybe getting out of bed maybe brushing your teeth. Something else to be noted is this concept that I've heard about because of the ADHD community and it is the rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Now there's a defined difference between regular rejection versus these intense feelings and intense reactions to rejection. It's typically experienced by people in the ADHD and autism communities, but it is also felt by those in the trauma and social anxiety communities. The sort of basic definition and symptoms behind it are things like difficulty starting tasks or projects or diving into 
a dream project that you've always wanted to do because you're afraid you'll fail or that you may have this intense emotional sensitivity to criticism and how any form of rejection can trigger these unwieldy emotions, these emotions that feel out of control. If any of that resonates with you, I encourage you to research more about that. See if it provides more insight as well as some helpful tips of how you can start slowly chipping away at that. I feel like this entire episode has this looming question of how do I choose myself if no one else will? How am I worthy if no one else is going to pick me out of the crowd? If I am this crayon in this crayon box and I am the one that's like the freshest tip and all the others have been used and well loved, but I'm still not like, how the fuck do I not let that affect me? I feel like it starts small. And I saw this for myself when I went to a house party for some of our friends. And there were these two strangers I didn't know. And I was in a conversation with them and they were telling this like really intense story. And I was engaged and I was asking questions. I was doing all of the things. And I went to share a story similar to theirs to be like, hey, like I totally understand how you feel. This is what happened to me. They fucking walked away as I was in mid-conversation. I was appalled. I'm 26 years old. These people were at least 33, if not older. And these two grown-ass men just walk away from me as I'm in mid-conversation. I was like, I guess I'm done talking now. And I remember telling my therapist about that after it happened, saying like, I was so baffled by this. It's like, who the fuck are you? Are we 16 again? Like, this, this doesn't feel good. This isn't the energy. And she asked me how I felt about that and how it affected me after the fact. And I was like, I didn't give a shit. I was just like, there's something wrong with you guys. And she's like, ah, there it is. You're not putting it on yourself. It's not on you. There's nothing wrong with you. It's them. Now that would be way different if the hosts of that housewarming party had done that to me. Why? Because I have emotional investment with them. Because I care about them. I care about what they think about me. I care about our relationship. We have an established connection. But I do think there's something to be said about the fact that that didn't bother me as much as it could have. Or as much as it would have, say, in the past. The Miley Cyrus Flowers song feels like just the perfect example of how you can start doing these small things for yourself. To show yourself that you are putting yourself first, even if no one else will. It's like, I will go to the movie by myself. I will sit at the table for one club. I will go to the concert by myself. I will buy myself the flowers and make myself the dinner and watch my favorite TV show, even if this friend or this guy or this girl doesn't want me. Will it still fuck with your head? Of course. But maybe 1% by 1%, we can work on it and we can hope it doesn't affect us as much 30 days down the road and we're 30% better. Do not be hard on yourself or expect yourself to feel comfortable doing all of that. Just start small. Take yourself out on a date and get yourself some fast food and go watch the sunset. Turn on your favorite show and drink some wine or make yourself a drink or smoke a little weed and just chill out. I have to think about what it would feel like not wanting to spend time with myself because I hate myself. I've worked really hard to get to a place where I don't hate myself. I still have really terrible days where depression gets louder than the systems that I have built up in place. And it tells me that I'm worthless or it tells me that I don't deserve to be alive, which that's just a fucking lie. Let me stop your brain right this second. If at any point you have thought that, yeah, Emily is worthy of this, but I'm not. Well, fuck that, man. Why are you letting your brain bully you like that? Why are you bullying yourself? Actually ask yourself that question, sit with it for a second, and maybe just maybe you will see that 
Someone bullied you first and made you think that's how you deserve to be treated. I'm giving you permission, even though you don't need permission, to choose yourself, to take a chance on choosing yourself. You may look at yourself and think you are just the most unlovable person in the world, which is ridiculous to be thinking that. And I say that because I know it's ridiculous for me to think that, and I still think that. Of course, you're going to sit alone in your room and cry seeing those TikTok videos of people getting together and having Galentine's dinners or going out on double dates or or having a partner that they can come home to and you're looking around your quiet, empty room and it's just dark and sad and you're alone with yourself and you don't really like yourself that much. Like, of course, that's going to be depressing. I empathize with that and I know exactly how that feels. What has helped me in those moments is turning the lights on, not the overhead lights because those are just loud. Get yourself some fairy lights. Get yourself some cozy LED lights. You may make them blue or red. Pick out some of your favorite music. If you have the capacity to do so, tidy up your bed, wash your sheets. I understand that not everyone who is listening to this lives in their own space. They may live with their family. They may have a partner. They may have roommates. So you may only have your bedroom and maybe not even that. Wherever you can, make some space for yourself to start practicing Loving yourself just 1% better each day. And you can still hate yourself all you want. That's okay. I understand. But maybe just maybe drink a little bit more water today. Or maybe just maybe make your bed today and open the windows. Step outside. Stand in the sun for a little bit if it's not too cold where you are. (laughs) Or even if it is cold. Kind of get that shock. I don't know. I'd say one of my biggest strengths now is the relationship that I've built up with myself over the last six years. Since that moment of seeing that guy look at that girl in his back seat and me just kind of fading from view as if, <laughs> do you know that meme? It's like that guy who's like waving the peace sign and he just disappears like someone kind of photoshopped him out. I don't know if this is resonating with anyone, but that's what that always makes me think of. It's just like that situation, that experience was just like, let me just piece myself the fuck out of this because I clearly don't belong here. And I know it sounds like this stuff wouldn't actually make a difference because it's like, no, we're talking about rejection. We're talking about the fact that this guy that you really liked, that you told him that you liked, rejected you and didn't like you back and instead went and liked another girl enough to want to marry her. And yeah, I could say, yeah, read all the books, place all the boundaries, write all the songs. But I also think that there's power in the really simple things like there is a power to making your bed every morning. And just doing what you can day to day. That is good enough. That is you doing your best. That is you attempting to work through these feelings and processing the fact that you weren't chosen. It can still sting. It can still suck. But you still deserve to take yourself out to the movie. You still deserve to go to the concert even if you don't have that best friend with you anymore. You've spent too much of your life, whether it was from when you were 16 to 26 to 30, 40 and beyond, pining over their attention, waiting for them to pluck you out of the garden and tell you that you're good enough. By the way, I am telling this to myself as much as I am to you. It makes me think of the mirror ball song by Taylor Swift, where she's saying, you'll find me on my tallest tiptoes, spinning in my highest heels, shining just for you. And I remember her talking about that and how it's like she's always trying to like reflect back onto other people. She's reflecting what they want her to be back onto them. 
And I want to challenge you to just say, fuck it all. We don't expect 100% over here and we never will. We're just looking for that 1%, building up evidence that bit by bit, you are worthy of being someone's first pick, even if you are that person who is picking yourself. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. We're wrapping up this episode about an hour and a half later. I had such a wonderful time hanging out with you. No matter where you are, no matter what you're up to at the moment, make sure you drink enough water today, eat some food, go get some sleep if you can, and above all else, make yourself a cup of tea and be kind to yourself. I'll see you soon.